The world is becoming more unglued by the day. Local consequences are now showing up. We are seeing sky-high gas prices, higher food prices, shortages, and more. How should you respond? Go to redpills.tv slash patriot. That's R-E-D-P-I-L-L-S dot TV slash patriot. And secure your long-term emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is by far the largest preparedness company in America. They're in stock and shipping quickly in unmarked boxes to your door. Their emergency food supplies last up to 25 years in storage. When you need it, it'll be there. Lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks totaling over 2,000 calories a day. Get free shipping on any order over $99. Again, go to redpills.tv slash Patreon. journey of conversations on the fringe all right good morning good evening good afternoon wherever you're in the world my name is josh that is david whitehead my guest for tonight this is the red pill projects conversations on the fringe i hope everybody's having a fantastic day this is where we have those conversations that are outside the ordinary that are beyond the scope of normal conversation the ones that sit on the fringe and me and David were just talking about, we're like two little giddy school kids going to do a presentation for our, our classmates. This is uh, this mm. is going to be fun. So everybody's requested this show specifically. This is the decoding of Jupiter ascending. Many, many people have been watched that movie and said, we, we need to break that down. And so David and I kind of like got into it. We're like, well, let's do it. And we're going to do it tonight. And uh, we'll get into as well. King Charles, Tarot Carta. We'll talk a little bit about that, but uh, Jupiter ascending. David, how you doing? Long time. Josh, I'm doing great, man. This is so fun. You're right. We're like two kids in a candy store here, <laughs> and I'm not saying I'm an expert or we're gonna figure it all out, but I think it's a lot of fun if you do watch any kind of films or television shows. If you watch it for more than just what they're presenting, you try to decode the symbolism. And when you've read as much of this ancient literature looked into symbolism, studied it, interviewed all these amazing guests who are experts, such as Josh and I have done. Um, I guess it gives us a, a very unique perspective for what it's worth. So I'm looking forward to diving in. I just recently watched it. I made my wife watch it 
I don't think she quite got it. She's like, that was kind of just like a hot mess. And I totally understand. But nerds like me, I see a whole different picture. And we're going to talk about that, man. I'm excited. I, I am too. I am too. And um, I, I did. I, I watched it two nights in a row. I've, I've watched it multiple times before, but I watched it the last two nights in a row. And the first night, I kind of just made mental notes of what I wanted to kind of talk about. And then last night when I did it, it was really fast forwarding, rewinding, fast forward, rewinding. Um, and then I took massive notes. I did my research, went out there, looked up things. And uh, for everybody who doesn't know Jupiter Ascending, the whole plot of the story is uh, Mila Kunis, who lives on Earth, is cleaning toilets all day. Her father was an astronomy professor. Her mother was a mathematician. Her father got killed. His telescope got stolen. Um, and then all of a sudden she's being hunted down by these small little gray aliens who are trying to kill her. Um, and they're working for a guy by the name of Balam who is operating out of Jupiter. And he is, uh, one of the members of the Abraxix family, which is uh, a dynasty that basically rules the universe as they put it in the movie rules, the universe or what they call it, the verse. And uh, they own the planets. And so he goes out there, and you don't know at the beginning of the movie what's really happening, but apparently he killed his mother. And Mila Kunis is a recurrence of his mother, which is a genetic copy that is reborn, which has the, the complete lineage and heir to the title to whatever throne or, or inheritance that that person had. And so he obviously inherited her stuff, including Earth. And so he's trying to kill her and she meets this guy, Kane and Stinger, and they're, uh, they're part of this, um, Praetoriate that are kind of like working to protect the universe to like, you know, universal police, military, these types of things. Their genes are split with like, like, uh, what is it? Uh, lichens, lichens, lichens. Yeah. Yep. And, and anyways, it, it goes on this journey and you learn that planets are simply these, these farms to grow human beings to the point where the planet becomes overpopulated. That means that the harvest is ripe and then they humanely kill the population and they melt every hundred people down into this liquid that when you engross yourself in this liquid and add a little bit of electricity and radiation, it rejuvenates all of your cells in your body and allows you to live longer. And these people are, you know, 14,000 years old, 90,000 years old. Um, that's how they've created this reign in the universe. And the objective is for her is to regain, regain her title, reclaim her title, um, and not get killed. Um, really interesting movie. It was done by the Wachowski brothers. Well, Wachowski sisters, sorry. Um, they are now uh, trans, transmutated themselves into women, I guess, if you want to call it that. But they are the same ones that did the movie The Matrix, and there are massive parallels between these two movies. I think we'll talk a little bit about that. But, David, I mean, let's just start off. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what you found at the beginning of the movie? Well, first of all, that was the perfect synopsis of the film. Um, well done. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was really good. And it actually reminded me of a lot of the different parts of it. But as soon as you push play, um, I wish I could find it. I've got it here somewhere. We'll get to it if, if I can find it. Um, but you push play on the film, mm -hmm. at least when I did, and you see all the advertisements for the production companies that made the film come up. Right. And they did a unique rendition of each one in a certain lighting. And it was all interlaced with a bunch of these symbols that were a part of the alien language that's in the film. Oh, I didn't see that. 
And so I was sitting there going, oh, and they look very uh, Sanskrit hieroglyphic, you know, the way they make it look. But like this was right out of the gate. And when you watch any film, I mean, just if you think about stellar astrology or just that alone and the fact that for some reason, these are very powerful sim symbols in the human consciousness, mm -hmm. maybe because it has to do with the fact that all of our ancestors observe the heavens. They didn't go to the IMAX films and arcades and sit on iPhones. They were out there looking up at the stars and the heavens and tracking planets and th things like that. And that archive is known in Hollywood and it's embedded in a lot of these different films, but certain films seem to really have it prominently in these Wachowski brothers, sisters, whatever. I don't even think, I don't know to what degree they're even a part of that. Maybe they just direct it. Um, Cause we know the matrix came mm -hmm. from a book. It was a French book actually. And I can't remember the title, um, but it was a book that came out a long time ago. So um, these Hollywood screenwriters have the archive of this knowledge and they're putting it in the films and this film the name of it jupiter ascending is that's an astrological reference right there in the title and then this is one of the first films where mila kunis is doing the voiceover and the you know they're introducing characters and she actually breaks down her astrology and what sign she was born under yep. jupiter ascending and you don't hear that stuff in any film you don't hear them even bringing it up and uh just a quick sidebar on that josh oh, i was doing that some side research here. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to cover it here, but this is for chapter nine of cult of the medics that I'm currently researching. And I started getting into some of these older books that you can find in the medic that write like medical treaties and things like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm just booting this up. I just want to give you the right title here. Cause there's a correlation to what I saw in the film. Okay. Um, and yeah, this, this book is talking about the Royal society. And it's talking about, it's Robert Burton, the anatomy of melancholy. So he's writing this book in like the 1600s and he starts making reference to the medical cults, the cult of Asclepius in Greece and the history of these medical cults. And he starts getting into the Jesuits and he starts getting, and he is writing this book. He's saying at the Vatican. So hmm. he's, he's, he's a priest. He's got medical training and he's he's living in a residence in the Vatican in Rome in like 1628. And he's writing this treatise on a bunch of things, Greek mythology, philosophy. But then he brings up medics and then he says that um, he's writing it from Rome and that they're they have created colleges, these colleges throughout the world that are medical colleges. And you think College of Cardinals, I'm thinking of all of that and we'll come back to the movie, but. The reason I brought it up is he said as a Christian, he's writing as a Christian of that time, 1628. And he refers every, every second page to astro astrological terms. Hmm. And he starts breaking down the astrology of certain dates of certain things. And then also referencing the Bible and the corresponding scriptures that talk about that particular astrological marking. And I'm like sitting there reading this thing. And I'm like, so the, the Christians of that time at the Vatican New. We're astrologers and astronomers, and they embedded it throughout the stories of the Bible. They just that just never got taught to the masses. I brought that up because it's interesting in these films, they're starting to bring this back the symbolic archive of the astrological uh, thing. And maybe <clears throat> if you come from a really harsh, you know, hardcore Christian or religious background, you're going to go, Well, that's just all evil stuff. So that's why they're putting it in. But, um, if you're trained at what you're looking at, it's way deeper than that. It's not evil. It's actually they're telling you a story through the symbols 
And this movie, as wacky as it is, it tells you a lot of stuff like that. So there's my opening. Awesome. Awesome. And, and that, that sounds incredibly fascinating. I, I love that because that's actually where I, what I've been studying the last few months now is the, the kind of Christian ideology, Christian mysteries of the mm. Bible and the hidden astrology within it, as well as the dates, the correspondence, and, and how all um, basically, a, in, in not trying to offend anybody out there, basically how each word actually is like encoded in that there's a code word out there that you have That's to utilize right. to translate it. And once you figure that out, it all starts to open up for you. And it's just absolutely fascinating, that topic. Now, I went up and pulled up Jupiter Ascending, and what you're talking about is the Warner Brothers. So yeah, the, that's right. The Warner Brothers? Yes. So let me go ahead and see if this can happen without fail. Um, you should be able to share your screen, but when I do it, I usually get screwed. Let's just do that. Here, let me keep searching for my copy of this here. Hold on. And that didn't work. Okay, one second, guys. Sorry. That didn't work. Oh, I okay. see a video player there. It, it, for some reason, when I Zoom, when I share my screen... On OBS, it doesn't work. I don't know why. I can show it on my browser, though. So if people are interested to look at my browser, uh, David wouldn't be able to see it, but I can show you guys what we're talking about. Oh, no, it's it's not my – that's what it is. Amazon basically doesn't allow you to share it. Oh, okay. They're blocking you. Okay. Yeah. So why don't I, – I can take a screenshot, could, though. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Go I can ahead. take a screenshot. Okay. Let's do that. Let's do that. Um Because this is this is pretty pretty incredible what he's actually saying here. Oh my God! They won't even let you do that. It blacks out when you try to do it. I'm not lying. Jeez. Well, if we'll you just can have pull to get people up. to go look it up. Yeah. We should have prepared a slide, but we can do it in the future. If you watch the film, just pay attention to certain parts of it. Like right from the when you start, go just go look at it. Go look at the opening of it. Sometimes you can even find little clips of films on YouTube and you might be mm -hmm. able to find the opening scene. And even the opening monologue is really interesting, like right away. And then they bring the story. You were talking about how uh, her father passes away. It's a really uh, crazy scene, too. Um, but he was just like this dreamer. He was the guy with the golden telescope that was so fascinated with studying the stars and the mm -hmm. sky. Maximilian. And yeah, exactly. And his wife was attracted to him because of that. And um and then, you know, this horrible tragedy happens and then Mila Kunis is going to find out what her destiny is and that the reason her father was probably so attracted to the stars is because he was from the stars. That was one of my first indications as well, is yeah. that he was not from Earth, is that her father is definitely from the stars. and uh, Or genetically or something. You genetically know? Yeah. or, well, I got the indication that he wasn't from from earth. It, it, that's just the feeling and thoughts that I had. And, and maybe that was one of the reasons why she wanted to get back to the telescope or why the telescope was so important. He didn't want them to steal it because there was something about that telescope specifically. Yeah. He died trying to stop them from taking the telescope. Right. And uh, that was an interesting symbol. It was like his passion killed him, you know, yeah. his obsession killed him. Uh, but we also know on the plot, they kill them because of other reasons. We don't want to give too many away. There probably will be some spoilers, guys. Let's just give you that right away. So yeah. if you haven't seen it and you just really can't wait to see it and you want all the suspenseful turns, maybe uh, wait to watch this after. But I think you'll be OK. Um, and then, I mean, there was that clip that I played in my ancient transhumanism episode uh, where it's from that scene. That's what we were talking about last show. Uh, when we were even discussing doing this one, where it's the scene 
where they're talking about the human farming. They're talking about basically the adrenochrome uh, on steroids. And it's a galactic currency. The genetic code is a galactic currency. And that, yeah, they, that Earth was actually a gift that was given to this, this ruler, this king. That's how, that's how trite it was. Like, that's how, like, oh, it was just, it was, that was an inheritance. Earth was one of my inheritance with the other planets that I inherited. Like, you know what I mean? It's like the Rothschild of the universe kind of guy, you know? It, I agree. And so I went and started looking at their names. And I, I you know, Ju- Jupiter, Balaam, Titus, Seraphi was the mother's name before she was killed, Seraphi. Um, and then you had Kalik, right? And then you have Kane, Skinner. Skinner didn't really matter. And by the way, I just showed that picture of the Warner Brothers for everybody to see there. If you didn't see it, I can put it right back on. It's right there. You can see all the lettering on the W, the B, and on the bottom brim. That's what David was talking about there. Um, and then their last name, Abraxic. So this is what I found interesting because you were just talking about them getting planets in their inheritance. And there's one part where Titus is actually talking about his inheritance, and he only got seven planets. Hmm. Now, his name is Titus. Now, there's no ancient god by the name of Titus, but there is an old Roman emperor by the name of Titus Caesar Vespiponius, right, of the Flavian dynasty. And I have notes on this. And it was interesting because what are they doing on these planets? They're, They're killing people, right, to harvest them. Well, he was known as an evil oppressor and destroyer of the temple. He was known for the war of the Jews, and he massacred multiple amounts of Jews. He was also known as the title, he had the title, the Pharaoh of Egypt, adopted the title of um, Caesar, the perfect, um, the perfect popular youth. But what's interesting is the number seven is directly associated to him as Caesar. And I I just like, Mm, when you start looking into the names, you start seeing how they like, if you're going to write a sci-fi movie, I guess you go out there, you pick like 10 different characters from mythology or history. You pull them in and you create this, uh, the synopsis of who they are and what they're going to play. And then you build that into their character. And this is exactly what I found when I went through every single one of those names. Now, Titus was the least important out of all of them. And he was like the, the beautiful, uh, you know, the beautiful boy and, and the young vibrant, right? This is kind of who he was. There's other parts of it that go into it that might actually pertain to a, another. Oh, no, that comes into with Oris. But either way, Balaam. What was your thoughts on the name Balaam? Balaam, uh, right Balaam. before Balaam, just on Titus. It was Titus Flavius? Well, yeah. So Ti- Dynasty? It was Titus Vesapassonius of the Flavian Dynasty. Of the Flavian Dynasty. Okay. Yep. Okay. I just thought it just it sounded a little similar to Josephus Flavius, but mm. it's a little bit different, and I don't want to draw connections just because it sounds like there is one. Um, but that that is also an interesting story, the story of Josephus. We'll do that another time. But you're talking about Balaam. I mean, Baal so comes to mind. That was the first. Gollum. So Baal was the first one that came from my mind, and because Baal is known as the the god of the harvest, right? which is interesting. He's the, he's the one that rules over the earth. So you have that parallels. But then I also found Balaam, B-A-L-A-M, which is an ancient Mayan god. Now, this is the god of agriculture. 
He had a, he was an old fellow, long head. He was nocturnal. He rode the, the clouds. He rode dark clouds, right? And he was, he was a supernatural being in Mayan religions. And I found it interesting because he's the God of, he's the, he's the one that guards cornfields and villages and cornfields. We're talking about harvesting human beings here, right? And so he's the yeah. one that guards over earth that has the harvest of their cornfields. Um, agriculture is the growing for harvest. So I found those parallels there as well, which I found kind of interesting, but I think it's, they were more going for the ball type. And I think that we just have an etymological connection between the Mayan God and then the, uh, the, the Canaanite God ball. Right. And you know, there's a lot of different renditions of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a horned god, right? Ball here. I'll, can I show? I'll do a share screen here just so people yep. can get some more you visuals should going. Be good. Let me go get my zoom screen here. Participants can now see your screen. So you got you can see it? Yep. Okay, great. So just so you guys get an idea, everybody's asking where the horned gods come from. Um, they go back actually to the horned goats, and the druids have that connection. The Bach people, we do this thing. That we did this series called the Bach Saga, going into the ancient, ancient, ancient roots of the Europeans and the Northern Europeans, right? The Arctic homeland and that group. And it was, they looked at the horned gods and the as horned goat, the horned goat, mm. right? And there's nothing evil about it. It was just, it, everything comes from nature. But certain cults adopted certain symbols over time as like, this is our sigil, this is our god. And then they start projecting their own characteristics onto it later. So you're going to see Baal, the demon. Um, you got the horned god. You got your, you know, like the transgender Baal concept. It's okay. There's definitely probably a lot of Japanese anime. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but, you know, this is the depiction you get of the devil, the, the cloven feet, the tail, mm -hmm. the horns, right? And all of the concepts that we know about here you know, have ancient, ancient roots that go well before. And there were many interpretations of these different gods and goddesses and deities, right? And um, so, but it did become a cult of sacrifice. Right. The, the ball, the, the ball cult, right? So I'll come back. So just want to show that, that, like, I know we're picking on just a name of somebody that just probably sounded cool, but I really don't think anything is put there by accident or just for just for a fashion or having a cool name these people do their research because it's not just the words they're using you look to the characteristics of the character named balam and then you look to the theme of the entire movie and it's actually telling you ancient myths and legends that right. it's just being retold by hollywood that's all it is right and they're also showing that you that these myth and legends were were talking about predominant cycles that come around and that was the whole theme of the movie was the recurrence. Now, did you know the mother's name, the one that was killed? So the mother I actually didn't pay it. You read it in the beginning and I didn't pay attention to that. So okay. what was it again? So her name is Seraphi. S-E-R-A-P-H-I. Now, here's the thing that got me. And this hit me last night when I was going through this. They never mention a dad. There's never any mention anywhere of a dad but then you get into the, the 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 occult perspective of the planet that they're all from where humanity derived from Oris, and it all starts to make sense i'll, I'll get there 
but seraphim. What does that sound like? Seraphim, right? Seraphim. Seraphim. It's an angelic being. Angels come from where? They come from heaven. Where's heaven? Oh, it's up there. Yep. Where Order of angels. From? They come from up there. Six winged angels standing in the presence of God. Six winged angels. Six wings. Yep. Six wings. Right. Now, David, do you have like YouTube pulled up so you can see my screen? Because I can't share my screen because it blacks out for some reason. I'll pop up YouTube here. Hold on. Okay. But I want to show everybody the statue. You remember when Kalik had the statue of her mother? Yes. I want to show you something about the statue. And this is <laughs> this is pretty interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, why is my internet so slow? Come on. Hold on. No worries. For everybody out there, you're going to start seeing it right now. This is the statue of Seraphie. Um, the mother who had been killed by Balaam. Obviously, it looks like Mila Kunis. Okay, I got it. Okay. Ah, uh, yes. Look at her headdress. 100%. That's six wings, three on the left, three on the right, going up the side of her headdress. Right. And then the, the, the being with both wings fanned out at the, at the top of the head. Mm-hmm. But that is, you're right. So they're telling you. So there you go. Is that a coincidence that they're calling nope. her Seraphi? Was they call her Seraphie? Seraphie. 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 Yep. Seraphie. Seraphie. So Seraphie and yep. a Seraphim. <laughs> yep. And there's and your Seraphim. Seraphim have six wings. And there's the six wings. Wow. Good but, catch, but, bro. But that comes out as that, right? If you look at the symbolic relationship, she was created by God. So who's the father? And I was blown away when I started looking into this. And I mean... Firstly, their planet, they call their planet Oris, where humanity derived from a, over 1.5 billion years ago. Okay. Now the name. Yeah, they did say we, they brought us here. Right. They brought, they, they seeded earth. They seeded all these planets to grow us. Right. But the planet. And right before you go, Josh, right yeah. before you go, I wanted to bring this up because it made me think of all the Mars Chronicles episodes we did with the idea that there was once life on Mars, something happened and we came here and it could be that some of the tales of cataclysm that are recorded in our texts are memories of what may have happened mm. both on this earth and maybe somewhere else. And that we came from somewhere else. This is the theory and it just, it's in the myths, it's in the legends. And then now they're putting a similar motif in this film. I found that interesting. Yep. Well, I, I want to get into the Oris, but before I do that, I want to talk about Kalik. So this is the sister. If you guys remember the movie, what happens is, uh, Mila Kunis is basically, there's Balaam after her, there's Tit Titus after her, and then Kalik, basically, the, two of the the uh, the hijackers get her and take her to Kalik. And she's the middle sister between um, Titus and Balaam, right? So she's the middle person. But she shows Mila Kunis compassion. And she doesn't try to kill her. She doesn't try to manipulate her in any way, which is really interesting, she shows, tells her who she is, tells her the truth, or at least a variation of the truth, and then helps her, which says, I was going to take you myself to Oris to get your, your titles. But, you know, if the Aegis is here, which is the, the, the space police, I'll let them do it for you. Now, Kalik, you're not going to find that name anywhere unless you look at Kali. Right. At, which is an age, the Kali age and the Kali Yugas, right? Mm -hmm. it's a, what does that actually translate to directly on the Kali because that was a goddess is it not yep she was a goddess and she was the hindu goddess of ultimate power time destruction and change yeah. she is this she is stated to destroy evil in order to protect the innocent now think about how she gave mila kunis compassion 
She knew that both of her brothers were going to kill her. She brought her in because she knew that if her mother came back and she gave her compassion, that things would work out best for her other than killing her like her two brothers were trying to do. She was the divine protector of the one who bestows Moshka or liberate. This, this, is, this is so symbolic. So Kali is the divine protector of the one who bestows Moshka, which is liberation, emancipation and release. Release, Moshka, is a freedom from the cycle of death and rebirth. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Mila Kunis just having a recurrence in this. She sent to Kali, who gives her compassion and says, hey, we're going to let you live this life. And Kali, in Hindu mythology, is the divine protector of the one who bestows Moshka, or liberation release, the one who ends the cycle of death and rebirth. Now, if you remember, Seraphie, Balaam says that he killed her because she learned the truth, and she wanted to end the farm. She wanted to stop the harvesting of human beings. Right, right, because, yeah, that's another part of the film. I won't jump to that. This is fascinating because I'm looking at Kali here. What was the variation of the name that the mother was called? Kalika? Well, the the daughter was Kalik. Oh, the daughter was Kalik. Okay. Well, they say here, this is just right on Wikipedia. They're saying Kali, also referred to as Mahakali, Bajrakali, and Kalika. Right. So it's close. They just gave her a close yep. name. Right. Yeah. There's actually a derivation in there. That's Kalika. That's almost similar to Kalik. Yep. Exactly. Is a Hindu goddess who is considered to be the goddess of ultimate power, time, dest- destruction and change. In this tradition, she is considered as a ferocious form of the goddess Mahadevi, the supreme of all powers or the ultimate reality. So. Yeah, and then if the then if the character in the film embodies that, then they're trying to tell you the story. And you know what? It's not a stretch because I think the vast majority of the stories we're told, especially these science fiction type films, they're bringing astrological things into it and mm-hmm. ancient mythology and ancient traditions. And it's because when people think of the stars, that makes them think of the ancient memory because yep. that's where our knowledge was derived from. We lived in the kingdom of heaven, right? Yep. But then the synthetic form of thought came in and separated us, and here we are. So, but the film does a good job of getting in. And then they also, there's so much more mythology, but they also bring in all the ufology lore, like directly out of it's as if they watched all the episodes of Project Camelot and then went and uh, embedded that mythos into it as well. Yep. Right. So they have the different races of archons or rulers. They have your greys who are like the little minions that go out and do experiments and uh, abduct and do all that stuff in the film. Then you had the reptilian Dracos walking around with their mm-hmm. wings or whatever. And they look like walking dinosaurs and reptiles. Um, and they, they were also not at the head of the hierarchy, right. which is true when you actually read accounts within the UFO lore tradition. And you go, yeah, there's this idea that there's different ranks of beings that have, you know, interfaced with humanity over the time. And these are the races that they chose to put in the film. And then what else did they have? Then the humans, the tall whites, the uh, the humanoid-like creatures who are the rulers. Of, they're this Braxis family dynasty. And then what do they do? They create hybrids. Actually, that I think, did you catch this as well? 
that the reason there was walking, talking reptiles and the reason there was walking, talking, there was a lot of weird looking alien creatures in the movie, mm -hmm. but they were all, they were all hybrids that were created by the Braxis dynasties. Yep. So there, if you see weird looking half mammal, half amphibian, half reptile, half this, half that, uh, you're seeing the genetic experiments that this Braxis family has done on different planets to create the perfect farm so that each planet could be, they could create different genetic strains and have different purposes for that. That was kind of what I was gathering. Dude, spot on. Now, think about this as well. And for everybody, this is a spoiler alert, so plug your ears if you don't want to hear it. So Balam, Balam dies at the end, which means that his sister, Callie, becomes the eldest and the heir to all of his assets. Astro, right. Astrotheology. And they emphasize that too. They That's really right. emphasize that she was going to inherit all the, yeah. Yeah. And so, because Jupiter only took Earth. She only took dominion over Earth. So that means that Kalik takes over everything else, which is the entering of the Kali Yuga time. Because now she rules over the dynasty of the universe. Kalik. Kali. I, I'm telling That's you, crazy. whoever wrote this shit, they know their mythology. <laughs> they know their, their mythology. Yes. They know it very well. <laughs> I also wanted to point this point out, what you were just talking about. It's interesting that, obviously, Jupiter is the main theme here, right? They were in the, the, the storm of the planet, but the Watchers operated out of Jupiter to control Earth, to watch over Earth. And they called them the Watchers. Too. Yeah, and they called them the Watchers. And where's and, that from? That's from the oh, Book, Book of Enoch. Enoch yeah. yeah. But how about this? David Icke. What's David Icke's theory on Saturn? Well, that's Saturn, not Jupiter, but Saturn. Is that they right. utilize Saturn as a base to basically transmit a signal to Earth that suppresses consciousness. You got, you got so many parallels that lap onto everything. Um, it, you want to go over Braxix, the name? Yeah, do the name. That's very got to be interesting. So the name Abraxix. So they spell it just a little bit different, but they, there's an alternate spelling of Abraxix, which is... Abraxax. So it's actually derived directly from the word Abraxax, which is Greek. It's a Kabbalistic and Gnostic name of the supreme god, thus the word of power. Okay? Now the name Abraxax, or Abrax, Abraxax, right? I mean, this is the, the, the prefix of Abraham, Abra, right, right? The father of multitude. And this is where I started thinking about the father. Because this is where they got the name from, is from the father. And the name literally means the father of multitude, the, the supreme God, the word of power. And I'm like, Abra and Abracadabra. Yep, then we got Abra, Abracadabra, which we got magic coming into the play. But I started looking at it more from the masculine lineage of who is the father. And I want you to go ahead and talk your thoughts on the name Abraxix. Because right there is where we got the Kabbalistic the Gnostic name of the Supreme God, the word of power. We start to form what's called the Trinity. We start to form the pyramid, the three points of the pyramid. This is where this word comes from. If you remember the name, if, if you ever got into magic, anybody out there, when you write the word abracadabra, abracadabra, Kabbalistically, you always write it in a diminishing triangle, right? That's the ritualistic way to write it. And this forms the Trinity or the word of power. Right, that is encompassed within the divine essence of the supreme God. So, 
Do you want to talk on that or should I go on? No, no, go ahead. This is great. I'm actually okay. really enjoying this. Okay. So then that's where I went to and I said, okay, if there's no mention of the father, it's all the mother, right? We're looking at this as a female thing. So where's the father? Who is the father? Why, why is this father not discussed or talked about or anything? Well, then you go to the planet that they're all from. It's called Oris. And Oris means first to be born in the land of Trojan. And so the land of Trojan came into being as a result of two ancient cities, Hyperon and Anthea. Okay? Daughter Lace married who? Poseidon. Mother of Athelplus and um, Inuit kingdoms, the son of Poseidon and uh, Lace is Balaam. Sorry, pause. Mother of Asepius. Mother, mother of Asepius. Lace. Yep. That's the mother of the ancient Greek god for it's the cult of medicine. That's the cult of the medics from Greece. There you go. That's the mother. And then I say they never mention a father in Abraxic, supreme god, god of what? God of the sea. The sea is space. They rule over the universe. Gnostic Basilids, the Great Archon, the Holy Book of the Great Invisible Spirit. We have uh, the Abraxic stones are engraved in it, and that's where we get to Adonai, or we get to the Hebrew God, Jehovah, Yahweh. And so this is where it got really, really interesting, because if you start looking at the planet, it points you in the direction that this is first to be born. This is the birthplace of humanity. The planet's literal name in mythological translation means first to be born in the land of Trojan. So you're like, okay, what's, what's Trojan? And that's T-R-O-E-Z-E-N, Trojan, okay? Trojan came into, the, into being as a result of two ancient cities, Hyperon and Anthea. Daughter, Lais, Lais, L-E-I-S, married Poseidon and had two children. And so I said, okay, so now we have one of the big creator gods of the Greek pantheon that's entering the stage directly associated with Oris. He's the god over the seas. Think about this. What are we talking about? Big ships sailing through the universal star sky. Okay? This is the sea. And it made me think about Poseidon in a sense that what if he wasn't really the god of water, but he was the god of uh, riding the waves in the sky? You remember well, how they did look at the sky as an ocean. That's right. And you remember when um, Kane was talking about how his gravity boots work? Yeah. yeah. He, he says, well, they're, they're gravity waves. And what they do is they ride on waves of differential equations. The same way that their ships. Well, we'll talk about the ships in a minute, but they never mentioned the father. So I looked into the name of Braxix, right? And Braxix means supreme God, God of what? Space, sea. Okay. They rule over the universe. But when you start looking up Abraxas, again, there's something out there known as the Abraxic Stone. There's Abraxic Stones. And there's a book written um, by the Gnostic Basilids called The Holy Book of the Great Invisible Spirit. And it's completely encrusted on the outside with Abraxic Stones. No way. And he's known as the Great Archon. And so then you have the, mag uh, the Magical Papyri, you have Adonai, which is matter, material world, material universe. And um, you have the name Abraxix, which is also seven letters, which represents the seven classical planets of antiquity. And so I was just fascinated by the fact that you can't find this father, but yet if you follow the hints, you come to the Supreme God. That these people, remember the bees, remember the bees. Bees were genetically engineered to recognize 
royalty. Mm-hmm. Okay? If we're thinking these people were just a corporate dynasty that rose up, they're not royalty. But that's not what you're being told in the movie. You're being told in the movie they are really royalty within the universe. That's why the royalty is determined by the bloodline, by the genetics. That's right, by the genetics, by the bloodline. And so that's why I asked who the father is, and it comes out that obviously there's some divine aspects, or they're trying to portray the father as potentially a divine intervention into the mother. Right. In Seraphim, Seraphim, obviously created by God, right? And so you get this whole idea that this can come about. So that, that was kind of my red pill on all this. Um, I got a whole bunch more too, but I mean, I'm going to, I've been talking way too much. So go ahead. <laughs> oh, I'm just, I'm fascinated. And I knew you'd be good with that stuff because being able to go back to where the original myths are probably being drawn from it, by these producers. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fat, that's just a fun thing to do. I mean, is everybody having fun? This is great. This is, this is a way that you can interpret what they're telling you. And it doesn't mean it's all bad. It's just that you have to know that they're speaking. You know, you're going to the movie, you're watching all these crazy, very long fight scenes and flying around and it's just nuts, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not what the movie's about. There's an undercurrent of a story that they're telling you and they're weaving mythology into it along with a lot of things that I think are very symbolic of the time that we're in. And they talk about ages, they talk about cycles and they talk about how that's something that's going on on all planets in the universe, not just ours. So there's this theme of like a major shift and each character marks like a new astrological point of where the whole plot of the story is during this shift. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you get to the end and then Jupiter almost has like a Promethean like energy about her or concept. Did you catch that? Where she's going to be almost like hands off. She wants to give the benevolent torch to humanity she doesn't want to be the ruler, right? So there's like a, a very interesting connection, I think, to that story as well. On that point right there, her name's Jupiter. But she is a female variation of a masculine god. Right. A recurrence. Uh, god of the sky, god of thunder, that's who Jupiter was. Uh, chief deity of the Greek pantheon. He negotiates with Numa Pompilius. Um, the second king of Rome to establish principles of Roman, re- sorry, Roman, Roman religion, such as offerings and sacrifice. Um, one thing that I found interesting is that Jupiter and Balaam at the end, they're talking. And you remember Balaam had her family and he was going to kill her family if she didn't sign the papers. And yeah. then she looked back at Earth and she goes, if I don't sign, you can't harvest Earth. And she made the decision to sacrifice her family for Earth. The ultimate sacrifice. And how many of those kind of stories are throughout all the ancient myths, man? Like, it's all about that. Yeah. A god or a goddess sacrificing something big on behalf of the rest of humanity. There's that, that story is everywhere. Yep. Now, what's everywhere. interesting is this is the Wachowski brothers. Another movie they did is called The Matrix. Hmm. This and, is an interesting connection. And Neo sacrifice himself to save trinity trinity we can break that name down all day but i think we understand what that means right so neo was a recurrence the seventh recurrence of the one uh jupiter obviously was a recurrence trinity the supreme god right the last name abraxas supreme god 
Um, you have Savior of Humanity, both of them. Jupiter saved humanity by sacrificing her family for Earth to Balaam. Um, Neo sacrifices himself to save humanity and start to free them to restart Zion again, right? Um, Neo sacrificed himself for love of Trinity. Jupiter sacrificed her family for the love of Earth, of humanity, right? Um, in the Matrix, do you remember there's never damage that stays? Everything's always immediately repaired? Yep. Remember in the movie that her and Kane are driving out of the city out of Chicago after it gets uh, destroyed? She goes, you, they're not going to let that go. And she, he says, it'll be all fixed by night. And she looks back and it's all repairing itself. Yeah, that was that was a crazy scene. And I remember watching that with my wife and we were both looking at each other like, oh, mm -hmm. this is almost like too obvious. Everything's getting destroyed. And then right away, they're like, oh, do you know that it's all going to be repaired by morning? And we're like, ah, oh, that's why nobody knows about this. Well, how about this? In The Matrix... NPCs, non-participatory characters all over the place, right? What did you have all over Titus's ship and everybody else's ships? You had Sims, NPCs. Right, and they called them that, Sims. Yep, they called them that, Sims. So they're harvesting humans. In the Matrix, they're harvesting humans for energy. Energy is equivalent to time, hmm. okay? In Jupiter Ascending, they're harvesting humans, they're harvesting humans for time, more time. And she says that explicitly. The who mm -hmm. was it? The girl that said that? She's the. Is she the? She's the queen? No, she's not the queen. The girl that says it. She goes into the bath. She comes out younger, and she comes up and she says, "Kalik." It's Kalik, right? Okay, so this is Kali, <laughs> yep. saying that time is the currency of the galaxy. That's it. More time. Yep. And then her brother dies, and she comes in to rule which is interesting yep. in the sense of time because Kali Yuga. Um, this is another interesting part. Do you remember when Balam is reviewing what happened in the, the uh, egg fertility clinic? Yes. And he's sitting there and he's talking to his mother in his mind and he says, no one understands this universe like you did. And that, I, it, it just stuck with me because we're looking at these parallels between the Matrix and Jupiter Ascending. Have you, mm. Do you remember when Balaam went down to the planet? It was digital. It was pixels that pixelated, and he showed up there. The spaceship. That's right. That's how they transported. Yeah. The spaceship coming in and out of hyperspace. It was digital, pixelated. My theory is that the universe in Jupiter Ascending is just another matrix. Mm. That's my theory. It's just another matrix. That would make sense. Yeah, that's a kind of, yeah, that's, I now want to watch the whole thing again through that lens because it's all right there, like you said, mm -hmm. and it's, it actually explains the same story, the parallels with the matrix of the farming of humanity. They live in an illusory world while they're being farmed. And then in Jupiter ascending, they're looked at as NPC like characters, humanity who are programmed. They're also in a transhuman kind of state with, the, you know, in, well, on the other planets, at least there's these cyborg type guys. They're like the delegates and the diplomats. Remember those, mm -hmm. the weird guy? Um, but the correlations between, yeah, the matrix, the, the, but the theme of it. And this is where it really perked my attention because I had, ref I'm working on this cult of the medics and I opened that whole series up with that Charles Fort quote that right. I, I know I keep talking about, but oh. it's. It's a fascinating quote that talks about 
this is someone from our planet that's talking about um, the notion that if you read all the ancient stories and all the ancient scriptures and you really look around at the world and you put it all together, and he was a paranormal writer, so he would bring that into account. He'd said, if you asked me, I'd say we're property. We're owned by something. All others right. owned off. And that there are certain ones that know this secret that walk on this earth and some of them might be like higher slaves or overseers and they there's a mysterious usefulness that humanity has he said and i think that mysterious usefulness has to do with our dna and our genetics mm -hmm. being that we are unique hybrid beings um, we're like a chimera of all parts of nature and we also have a lot of mysterious elements to us such as 46 chromosomes as opposed to 48, although we now know that those two missing chromosomes were actually fused together, which would take a gazillion miracles of nature to happen in a natural setting. And then we also have over 4,000 um, genetic defects, essentially, in our gene genome, which um, no other creature has that many defects in its genetic uh, code. Um, so how did we survive? How did nature keep us around? Because nature eliminates bad copies, right? So this what some people are, and there's many other points, that what uh, some guys look at it as is this is evidence of genetic engineering. Mm -hmm. And so I had recently done a show actually very close to the time that I had watched Jupiter Ascending called Ancient Transhumanism, where I'm postulating the idea that what we're seeing now with what Yoral Harari and all these guys are announcing with the, you know, uh, transhumanist future and how it's going to look and the technology, uh, technological dictatorship and all that, um, that that is just a modern rendition of an old program to not just wipe humanity off the planet, but to prepare humanity genetically for some purpose. Mm. And if you pause that point, I also in uh, chapter four or five, a cult of the medics, I got into the idea that we're dealing with an ancient alchemical agenda to create to alchemically modify humanity mm. so it's not just alchemically saying we're not just going after changing your genetics or using your genetics or your blood or whatever um alchemically would also bring in a spiritual psychological alteration as well because alchemy would be the full of the ancient world the full branch of that science and so they're alchemically altering because they need a certain updated creature for whatever reason hmm. and here we are and so the idea was ancient intervention and there's still the farming operation going on this is why we have all these control control structures on the planet that never go away this is why we have uh overseers and watchers people that protect us on one side and then also are utilizing us as a resource whether it's economically financially through our labor right through our psychic energy um you getting into what they do to children and the siphoning of energy and that whole ritual. It's, it's so bizarre, but all that stuff is not new. It's, it's not just something that comes out of Satanism. This goes back to many ancient cults like your cults out of Babylon and, and some of these ancient places. And they're still being used by certain groups today that I think are the bloodlines that just like they tell you in the film, preserve their genetic holographic structure all the way through time they are the royal ones because mm -hmm. of that that's how they look at it and yet humanity was intermingled and mixed up and therefore we're the serfs because we don't have access to 90 percent of our genetic code or something like right. that we've been firewalled 
And that firewall, it's a, it's espoused was a genetic alteration that took place as well as maybe a psychological one. So I'm bringing in now some correlations that I saw with the film, what the, the story they were telling and the research that I was doing for my series. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. That is fascinating. And yeah, man, there's, uh, the the genetic thing now we're just and they even say this in the movie movie you're you're, you're just now entering the genetic age and it, it's oh, like yeah. we're we're rediscovering <laughs> the genetic aspect of it but i think in throughout the universe that is everything i remember i did an interview with dr michael sala hmm. and he was talking about antarctica and how um corporations on this planet have traded human beings slaves so forth with uh, aliens down in Antarctica for the longest time. And my brother Jay was on the show and he goes, well, what do they use for currency? And he said, DNA. And if you think about it, if you understand yeah. blockchain technology, right? How each cryptocurrency, right? One coin of Bitcoin is its own unique hash. It's its own unique cryptographic signature, Okay. There's nothing ever like that that Bitcoin ever again. And that's how the blockchain, blockchain can recognize it. It's the same thing with DNA. Your DNA, my DNA, it's completely unique unto ourselves, which means that it has certain value to other people who study genetics. Mm -hmm. There might be something in your genes that have never been seen before in the history of the universe. And that's actually quite common because the fact that we are so genetically... Um, diversified, if you want to call it that. And so I found that whole part about it fascinating because really what we're doing is we're, we're starting to understand the genetic perspective of who we really are. And I think they nailed it spot on in the movie with recurrence that mm. basically, and I've, I've said this before, Dr. Martin Blank did uh, a series of reports back in 2014 studies the studies were pertaining that DNA is an electromagnetic transducer and DNA is a fractal antenna. Fractal antenna, you chop it in half, it still picks up the same frequency. You chop it in quarters, it still picks up the same frequency. You chop it in eight, still picking up the same frequency. Doesn't matter how far down it goes, it's always going to pick up that frequency. Transducers, it's sending and receiving signals. And it just happens to be at the 32 to 34 gigahertz range, which is exactly of the peak of the cosmic microwave background radiation from the universe, the afterglow of the universe that resonates here on this planet. And then there's another paper actually attached to it from another scientist in about 2015 that was saying that what if our DNA was actually um, evolved through the influence of the cosmic microwave background radiation? the microwave waves that are hitting us on a daily basis. And if anybody's wondering what I'm talking about with, with cosmic microwave background radiation, afterglow, turn on a TV, you're going to see snow, static. That's what that is. Turn on a radio, go in between stations. That static, what you're picking up is that afterglow. That's exactly what that is. And they're saying that this is basically the, the transcription, the, 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 the frequency of the universe. And that's really what Martin Blake was saying. These were peer-reviewed published studies but he goes into it Incredible. really in depth in the sense that within our primary functional DNA, um, we can actually account for the sending and receiving of these signals with nature. And then he doesn't call it, he calls it locked up DNA. Um, it, it's mentioned as locked up or inactive DNA. He talks about 
the junk DNA that they talked about for the long time. And he goes, these things have massive functionality because they see them fluctuating within these frequency ranges continuously. But it's almost like they're on, they're sending and receiving, but we just don't have access to them. Right. So it's something going on in the background. And this brings up the idea of this will blow your mind. So we were just having this discussion on Unslaved about in the world of psychology, the people that the guys that were talking about the unconscious or the subconscious, right? Um, they were looking at it as a, a mechanism of the brain or the mind. But Wilhelm Reich came along and mm. he said, no, the unconscious is actually not in some mythological, mystical fantasy land of your mind. It's your body. Your body is the unconscious, yep. the intelligence of the body, because the body as he said, is coursing, it's actually a conductor of the soma or the orgon, the organic energy is. of the universe, which is the base frequency of that vibrates behind all of matter. And so your, your genetic code is this spiral of photonic light infused with this organic energy. So you're going to get back, you're, when you're saying, I've got to listen to my gut, you're not so far off. But you're not just listening to your physical gut in your body. You're listening to the signal and frequency of the organic energy that is vibrating your cells and your DNA. And this is the ancient memory. Interesting. The ancient memory of your ancestors, as the uh, natives and whatnot would look at it, is it's, um, it's a genetic memory that you have. But it's not just, again, in some ethereal world. What Wilhelm Reich did was made it more concrete and said, yeah, it's the unconscious. It's the body. And that is where you're probably communicating and resonating with literally the frequency of all things, the, the universe of matter and nature and everything, spirit, however you want to look at it. And it's not registering in the conscious world. That's why. And, and they, say, they say with your mind, your brain only at like 10 or 15% of your brain's activity is conscious. The rest is what? Subconscious. So you have right. subconscious the brain. You have 90% um, junk DNA, which is probably just vibrating in the, with the soma. That's the vibe that you're getting. That's your unconscious. And it's all there. And then you got the exoteric, esoteric symbolism. So this is why this is all really uh, relevant. So it's incredible. Lara in the chat brought up a great point. She said, check out muscle testing, kinesiology, right? Is, right? Have you ever seen the, 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 uh, the emotional checks that you can do? Um, you know, am I not feeling well today? You'll fall forward for a yes or you'll stay still for a no. Your body will tell you subconsciously what is happening in your life. It'll tell you. I mean, you could do anything with it. You can say, what are the lotto numbers? Five. Falling forward. Okay, five. And your body is, and Joe Dispenza goes into this as well, with the body is directly connected to the nature in the universe, that it is your subconscious mind. It is that direct connection. It, it makes sense because in the physical presence, your body is that first interactory point with your environment. And so why wouldn't that be the same spiritually? Hmm. Right? Well, why do people look at the spirit and the matter world to be so separate anyways? That's agreed. I, I just read that in a book. I was reading a, a Manly P. Hall book. Yeah. Um, I got it upstairs. I don't remember the name of it. Uh, I turned to a random page, and that's exactly what he said. He said, humanity is so scared of the separation 
of the body in the spirit that they don't realize that there's no such thing. Yeah. Boom. And he just said, that's a brilliant quote because yep. here's the reality. The reason why we separate matter and spirit is because of the, the ancient trauma. I think it has to do with trauma and in your own life is you're afraid of death, mm -hmm. right? You walk around with a fear of death. Whereas the ancients and these brilliant thinkers from the past would have looked at death as just a cycle. You know, you get into the ancient way of looking at it. Um, but we fear death. So because death is associated in our minds with some kind of spiritual realm, we separate spirit and matter because we look at that as our experience, as when my mm -hmm. matter body dies, I separate and I go into another airy fairy place. But what if reality doesn't really function the way we are conceiving of it? Maybe we can't even conceive of it, but what we're conceiving is incorrect. And the truth is matter and spirit are just different uh vibratory planes of the same dimension but it's a it's a um maybe dimension is not the right word but it's the same it's a it's the same expression on different ends of the frequency of the bandwidth right well it, basically the way i looked at it is that there's a physical realm of reality and there's a spiritual realm of reality and then here is the convergence of those two realities the convergence exactly it's not separate yeah right it's not separate. This is, we are existent right now where those two points come together. And so there is no separation between matter and spirit or body and spirit. They are one right now. And that is the point of this is to grow that, evolve it, learn about it, understand it, know it. Absolutely. And that, that's actually what a lot of these ancient stories and myths and legends and scripture, that's really the story they're trying to tell you. Mm -hmm. And, and it was interesting if we just kind of think about DNA for a sec, I had a thought in relation to what I've been looking into. When you look at the DNA, it's it's looked at as the spiral, right? It's a spiral, uh, the spiral of the DNA. The double helix, yeah. The double helix. And it's all, it's a double helix. And when you look at that staff of Hermes, you've got the twin serpents coiling up the spine, up the, up the, the actual staff, but that's the spine in the physical body. So you have the twin serpents, there's your Kundalini, but that's also the twin double helix DNA mm -hmm. and the, the ancient the ancient groups and cults that knew about this were the medics. They right. were the ones that had the knowledge of it. And the ancient medics were not just doctors that were this left brain, you know, put everybody in a microwave and surgery and drugs. They were also, uh, spiritual high masters of spiritual arts as well. They were diviners. They were, um, you know, often they were priests. So there was always a spiritual side to the order of the medics in the mm. ancient world. And if you think about that, that's actually the perfect embodiment of what we were saying, where you have spirit and matter. You need to master the science of matter. That's your physical, how do I perform this treatment or deal with something in the real world? And then you also have to master the mind, the consciousness because a lot of illness was known to be brought along by, they used to think it was demons and stuff. Right. Right. But what's a demon, but a daemon and what's a daemon, but, a uh, I mean, it's like a packet of conscious energy, right? A disembodied spirit. It's a thought form. Yeah. It's a thought form that hits you and it creates a change in your vibration and that change in vibration can manifest illness and disease and bad luck and all this kind of stuff. So, um, the, the, the doctor, the medic would have had to be a master of both of these domains. Whereas hmm. today 
these doctors are being trained by pharma and the whole thing. And it's totally not what it used to be. So I just wanted to say that to say that there's nothing evil about the staff with serpents. There's nothing evil about the symbol of the serpent. That's something that I'm sorry, a lot of religions got wrong to completely demonize it top to bottom. Um, The symbol of the serpent was the symbol of, it was the most unique creature in nature and it was the symbol of wisdom and medicine. Yep. But then it got adopted by the dark black magicians. That's, that's where that got corrupted, but it's not corrupt itself. And there's plenty of serpent symbolism in this film. So I was going to go to symbolism. If you want to check this out on YouTube, this is where I think it got interesting because this show is kind of, we're talking about a recurrence of the mother, which is Jupiter of which Jupiter falls in love, right? With Cain. Now Cain obviously is the one. So Cain, biblical Cain, what happens to him? He's thrown out of the garden. He has a mark put upon his head. What is Cain in the movie? He has his wings stripped and clipped. He has the mark on the side of his neck. And so we have this other aspect, Cain, right? But oh, I want yeah. everybody to look at this. This is the tattoo on the side of Cain's neck. All right? Now, it's kind of hard to see, but if you look at it, that's a four, okay? And then you have a backwards, same symbol, right here. Now, that symbol's really, really interesting because in the movie, it's talked about what are those tattoos on the neck. And, he, and Skinner tells her, tells her that it's the mark of our creator, the one who spliced their DNA. Hmm. Okay? Now, what's interesting about that is Jupiter astrology. If you just, just type- real quick, I want to say it to me, it kind of looks like two serpents on the side either side of a pillar, a central column. There's one way of looking at it. Yep. That's what I was looking at as well. But if you look at that four, if you you look at the four, what is it? It's It's the sign of Jupiter in astrology. Right. So why is his, why is the person who made him his splicer, got the symbol of Jupiter, which is called the two doves, right? The, the Jovis birds. He's got the two Jovis birds on the side of his neck, which is signifying that Jupiter created him. I, and she's recurrent, right? So here's the thing. Their mother, Seraphim, okay, was 90,000 years old. She could have spliced him, created him. I'm just looking at the symbolism, right? She could have created him and in the, the unfoldment of the universe, her recurrence falls in love with her own creation. Just a theory. Hey, it's right there. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's plausible. And this is what's amazing about it is, I mean, we can kind of pull out whatever we want from it, I guess, but there are correlations to the real ancient traditions. Like th- these people aren't just pulling this out of, out of thin air. And th- that's, isn't that interesting to know that Hollywood and production companies in Hollywood have that advanced level of knowledge of these types of traditions and myths and mm-hmm. stories. And uh, they hire people to get this information, but I think they already have this. I think the people that created Hollywood, uh, they were the ones that had basically already had access to the libraries of history in the world. And they've, 
you know, these elite families had been bringing in some of the top thinkers and writers and scholars to produce works for them and produce plays and theatrical performances and craft these different arts. Um, I was even uh, looking at some of the dancing routines mm -hmm. that ballet performers do and whatnot. And they're all doing a dance across a stage that mark different so, so stars in the different patterns of stars in the sky and astrology and different uh, zodiacal symbols and things like that. Um, and then thinking about the symbolism, just for a quick sidebar, I still got to go through the whole thing. But did anybody watch the Queen's funeral? Oh, I did On not because I knew you were. Yeah. Uh, there's only two things I pulled out because I still have to go through it. Mm -hmm. But we saw that her procession was led by a goat. You saw that the, the guy goat was walking Mendes. a goat. Yeah. You can go look it up. Just look up Queen's Funeral, the goat, and there's pictures of it. And then there was also the breaking of the wand ceremony that was done over oh. the casket. Did you catch that? I did. And yeah. what's interesting about that is you go back to last week's episode where we talked about her as an initiated bard being given the name Seer, the connection to the Egyptian pharaohs, where the pharaoh was known as the Seer, the translation of the new kingdoms and how these lineages kind of portray into the future and transition towards each age. And this tells us, the breaking of the wand, that she was a high magician. Yeah, that's what it means. Because they only do that ceremony for a high magician. Mm -hmm. So um, they do magical ceremony. They're, this ceremony is not related to Christianity. No. <laughs> At least it. the kind of Christianity that people imagine, right? The kind of Christianity that you're getting taught by your pastor or your priest. The, the Christianity, these people look at it, the, the religion and the stuff they look at it, it's always much different than the public version of it. Um, and they also have their own private form of worship and their own private way of uh, doing this. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought it was interesting. I know it's it seems maybe unrelated to the subject, but it isn't because we're talking about royal families dominating the galaxy in this film. And we have the royal families that dominate this planet in our real world. And now we've got the ceremony of the passing of the queen and now the hailing of the king the new king the new sun is is risen and the symbol that's going to the symbolism that's going to be brought around charles as he comes in and ascends to the throne and um we're not going to do the whole show on this i already did a show on this um where we talked about the terra carta which is right gonna overwrite the magna carta mm. the magna carta was known for 800 years as being the source of which where our laws derive human rights and individual rights. And um, now the Terra Carta is going to draft those rights towards nature. So they're going to give nature rights. And this is the new green, it's the green new deal, but it's being brought out at the Royal level. Yep. And now the King is the charge of it. And of course, King Charles was part of the founding of the WEF, him and Klaus Schwab go way back and it's all the same people. And so it's like, we're seeing, a microcosm on our planet of what's going on in the film Jupiter Ascending on the galactic level. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking about that a little bit on DEFCON 5 yesterday with yes. King Charles and the Terra Carta. Um, this is, for everybody out there who's wondering about transhumanism, everybody about the transition in towards the, the Great Reset, um, the, the Terra Carta will come out to be as the, uh, the, the new constitution of Earth, if these people get their way. 
It's the mandate. He's calling it right now a new mandate. Mm-hmm. You know what? A, what a way to put it. By oh royal decree. By royal decree. We will be equest- We will be sequestering all land and resources on the planet, and we will now manage it for you, sirs, once again, just like we did back in the good old dark ages. And yet now we've got technology and AI, and we're bringing in transhumanism, and we're working on culling the herd and thinning out those dirty bloodlines and genetics. And we want to preserve only the certain genetics. And now we're going to march into the new world. Obviously, they're not going to say that on the website, but if you look at all the stuff going on, it's something similar to that. Yeah. And, you know, it's reminding us more and more that we're getting towards the end of whatever this is. Um, I've discussed this before, and we just talked about the queen. Now, I don't know if the queen's been dead for a few years, if they just waited. We know that. I think they waited. I I I think they waited too. Yeah. But they they delayed day zero one day so they could hit the harvest moon, which was significant. But last year, we had April 4th, 2021, and then we had November 22nd, 2021. We had two spe- uh, specific events. Um, on April 4th, they had the removal of the New Kingdom. It's called the New Kingdom of Egypt. Um, and they moved them from Karnak to Cairo, to a museum in Cairo. And basically, this is what we call laying the rest. If you remember, guys, they had all the, the weird, funky cars with all their names on the license plates, Tutankhamun, all these guys, and they went and laid them arrest in Cairo at a museum, but they moved him out of Karnak, which was interesting. Seven months later, they do another ceremony on, and they reopened the King's Road. This is so occultic and esoteric because here's the thing. There's no record of the King's Road ever being opened. The King's Road hasn't existed open for a very, very long time. And I'm, I'm one to bet that it hasn't been open for 2,160 years, a processional age. The reason that is is because the King's Road stretches 1.7 miles between Karnak and Luxor, right? And now, by the way, people know this. If you go to Luxor on the summer solstice, the sun rises right above the, the main building there. If you go to Karnak, it rises there on December 21st, the solstice. And so you have this transition of the death and the resurrection and the rise to the height of the king. Of the, the king in, son, the king, the son. The son, yeah. the son, the king, Osiris. And so this is where it gets really interesting because they only open the King's Road in ceremony at the enter in the new processional age, the resurrection of the new processional age. Now, interesting facts here. The road was 1.7 miles long. The number of the god Osiris from ancient Egypt is 17. Hmm. It was said that he died on the 17th of the day. Um, Also, Osiris is represented by the star in the sky known as Cirrus. If you take Orion's belt and you go to the left, the first bright star that you're going to hit is the dog star known as Cirrus. And that is Osiris' star. That sits at 1.7 degrees declination. Does it really? It does. And so this is, we have to understand, is what we're talking about is the rebirth of an age is the ceremony that they just went through. They're ushering in the new kingdom. That's why they put the new kingdom of Egypt to rest, which is now the old kingdom, and now they usher in the new kingdom. And this is, and I haven't calculated the dates from the November 22nd to the queen's death, but I'm pretty sure it's significant. But then the queen's death, because she represents the last of the old age. She's the right. last magician, they, last ruler of Pharaoh. Aquarius. There you go. They're now they're bringing in Aquarius. King, That's the new kingdom. King Charles. King Charles. He will rule Aquarius. Uh, at one, I'd be interested to know what his astrology is. 
Ooh. even though I'm not, I'm not the person that has it. I'd like to pass it to some people I know who do really good readings on that stuff. Cause, uh, that's always interesting, but just really quickly on Hollywood, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Hollywood, just the name of Hollywood alone, do a show on, but the fact that they are telling you through myth, the symbolic stories of the heavens, right? There's tons of stellar stuff in there. And apparently all there were what, like four or five ancient cults, central cults that produced all the other cults and religions and tribes and all that. But the four main ones, uh, one of the, the parent was the stellar cult. That was the most ancient one. That's where all the other cults, like the yep. solar cult, the lunar cult, that's where they got the vast majority of their knowledge from was these ancient, uh, the, those who knew the, st the stellar knowledge um, and the universal knowledge. And they've kept all of this. And the reason this is, ha this is not just a digression and a, just an interesting subject, it's actually quite relevant, is because the people at the top of the power pyramid know this. And they use this knowledge and they actually embed it in the new myths of the day, which are your movies and your shows and their, even your commercials. They put it all out and the ceremonies. It's unbelievable. And so the reason why symbolism is important to you, this came from uh, Michael Tessarian's presentation on mm -hmm. symbolism in Hollywood from years ago. And he brought up an interesting point where he was talking about the neural threads in the human brain. So the reasons re why symbols resonate with you on a deep level. And that's why they're employed. They could be employed to uplift you and, and activate you, or they could be employed to suppress consciousness and get you deviating your energy to them. Right. But the reason it's powerful and it's good to look at is that there are 240,000 miles of neural threads in the human brain, hmm. which is enough to stretch from the earth to the moon. And on every micrometer of these threads, there exists 250,000 units of information. Wow. But this data is regarded, is recorded only as pictograms, only as composite images and not as words. So when you realize that that data in your own neur neural threads, and the, the, which is produced by your genetics, it's, the, it's made of composite images and pictograms. They know that that's why you resonate with these ancient symbols. Hmm. And the symbols, where are all the symbols derived from? All the symbols are derived from nature. And the, the heavens, the earth, the animals, the tarot cards, all of it. And it it's all there. And in all the ancient scriptures, they're talking about it openly. If you actually go look up Reverend, Reverend Robert Taylor, mm -hmm. he was one of the first to write on the Bible's connection to ancient astrology. And um, it's fascinating when you go through the stories again and you're learning about, you know, uh, the story of the procession of the ages through these ancient scriptures. You just need the keys of translation We've been taught only the surface level and only pieces of it, many of them poorly translated. But when you get the key of knowledge, you know how to put the fractured pieces together and you'll actually be able to go into any ancient scriptures, any ancient traditions and myths and find those keys. And Hollywood knows about these keys and the people that run Hollywood know about these keys. And they tell you often through a distorted way, but they do tell you these stories. So they are the new myth mongers of mm -hmm. the day. They're telling you the myths as the ancients did. Um, and then there's also, I think, good people in Hollywood that are trying to leak information. But that's I, just I, some speculation for you. I agree wholeheartedly with that. And, and that's one of the biggest problems with a lot of this stuff is that 
we have interpretation after interpretation. I don't know how many times I've been told is, oh, you know, that's not right because, you know, so-and-so interpreted it this way, right? And I'm pretty sure Michael runs into this a lot with all the people that he talks about and the amount of research that he does, is that you'll, look, you'll research one topic and you'll find 30,000 different interpretations of the symbolic nature that is being discussed. And that's the key, though, to understand is what you just said there. If you have the key, you can unlock it all. And that was what I was referring to earlier with the Bible, with Christian mysteries, is if you have the key, if you understand the allegorical context of what they're talking about, and you have the cipher, the key to understand what words and what these words actually mean. And it's really, it's a, to kind of give it in perspective, is that there's various levels that we have to look at things. There's the physical or the literal. There's the spiritual or mental, right? And then there's the deep esoteric, which is the allegorical. And when we find the, the, the decoding of each of those levels, it unlocks everything for people to just dig in and truly understand what was being discussed and talked about and what the message they're trying to tell you actually is. And, and from what I found in looking at various different philosophies and religions and mythologies and so forth is that the message is exactly the same over and over and over and over again is that every single one of these stories almost every single one of them is telling unless they're telling a historical account in allegory right they're, they're telling you hey you know humanity is a lot older than you actually think and we've been here for uh for millions upon millions of years and we're you know we're beings that evolve over billions of years and we're not from here and all this stuff other than that there's this context of there's an evolutionary process in the universe. The universe has the evolution of consciousness entwined within its fabric. And every cycle that we go around that sun and every cycle that that sun goes around the galaxy is marking a progression of that consciousness and certain points of which that energy is going to slowly increase that's going to bring you up and lift you up into an awakening state, into a heightened state of consciousness. And they were trying to tell us is that there's things that we must prepare for, that when these ages come, that when we move into these cycles of rebirth, of resurrection, there's certain things that you have to understand. And this is why we call this right now the Great Awakening, because what's happening? is people are waking up to the truth because the truth cannot be hidden from the people who are no longer laying within nescience or ignorance. It comes to and the And also surface. the truth actually resonates with you and yeah. it literally resonates with you. It literally wakes up that dead DNA that you're not really paying attention to. It wakes up the unconscious, which means it's waking you up on all levels. The, the truth does that. The truth about something, a mystery solved. Uh, something that's unveiled, it opens something in you. Every time you open up that mm -hmm. mystery, it opens up your mystery. And I just want to quickly read something to add to what you're saying, Josh. I was looking into a book by Wilhelm Reich today. That's why I brought him up earlier. It's called Cosmic Superimposition. Ooh. Have you ever heard his theory on this? Um, I, I, yes, a while back, but please entertain me. Yeah. So I've got it right here. You can read it in a day, in a couple, couple hours. Like It's very thin. And um, he's got all kinds of images of galaxies. 
there's elements in this book, Josh, that I could bring to the next show we do about uh, the people that believe that the universe and space is space is fake. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wilhelm Reich will take you to take you to school on that, um, and just give you a perspective that actually simultaneously destroys the Newtonian uh, traditional scientific way of looking at things, the the materialist dogma, because he wasn't about that, but uh, actually brings a much more crystal clear vision to what the universe really is and the microcosmic, which is you, and the macrocosmic, the universe connection, right? That you're talking about as the convergence. So the convergence aspect here, and I think there was many themes about this within the film we're talking about today, but he's got a quick quote about what the cosmic orgone energy is and what mm-hmm. this whole process is. And it's a short quote, but here it is. He says, thus, in an ultimate sense, in self-awareness and the striving for perfection of knowledge and full integration of one's biofunctions, the cosmic orgone energy becomes aware of itself. Hmm. In this becoming aware of itself, knowing about itself, growing into consciousness itself, what is called human destiny is taken out of the realm of mysticism and metaphysics, and it becomes a reality of cosmic dimensions. It merges, understandably, with all great philosophies and religion of and about a living man as conscious design for one's life. So he's talking about how the reason we have the same pull to want to go and know who I am. Who am I? Why do we have that question? That's the primordial human question. Who am I? What am I? Why am I here? How did I get here? What is this crazy place, right? What's my place in it? These questions are powerful for you because that is uh, actually something being stimulated in you by the Christ consciousness that he called Orgon, that the Christians called the Christ, that the Buddhists called nirvana that everybody had their the karmic like this the, the uh not the karmic the uh what they called the energy of the universe you know the chi the Tao, all right. that stuff it's all the same and he's saying it's going through a process the universe is unfolding itself and going through a process that is seeking to know itself and so it's looking to pin it down into little points of matter to go through the experience of doing that. And that's why if you listen to that, that's why they say, listen to your conscience. The kingdom of heaven is within all these things. Go within, think about it, address the unconscious, right? That is all because you are here to know about yourself. You're here to become aware of yourself, to grow into consciousness of yourself, to manifest your own destiny, because otherwise the default settings will be fatalistic. It will be determined for you. But you do have the power. That's why I say you got the power within you, right? You got the power to actually take command of your human destiny. And that is not just something out in the airy-fairy mystical world in the way we think of mystical. There's actually a better way of defining that. But that does it, it actually makes it real on real mathematical cosmic dimensions. And it merges all the great philosophies and all the great religions instead of everybody competing over who they whose interpretation of this exact process Mm -hmm. is right you're all right and you're all wrong and that's amazing way to bring it all together so i just thought and he was talking about how it's your biofunctions because your cells are vibrating and this explained for me josh we always bring up that hermetic saying about as above so below right yeah um it's it explains it explains why that's the case and this is the knowledge that's being held back to keep people in the mindset that 
there is no greater purpose. My greater purpose is to be a slave, to work for the Braxis colony families, right, of this planet. But you don't have to. You can free yourself from that. Absolutely. And it's interesting, too, because if you look at the manipulation that has gone on in this world, everything is to hide that fact from you. Everything is to hide your own true nature from yourself. That's the whole thing. And that means we have to do the opposite, right? And that's the message of all these stories. Wasn't that the me- didn't that That's what Jupiter had to do in the film. She had to find her courage, stand up, and claim her royalty, claim yep. her inheritance. The inheritance mm, that she's claiming good point. isn't just the inheritance of some dynasty. That's the myth. The reality is we're all on a quest to claim our inheritance, and our inheritance is a clear signal and a connection to that dead DNA to activate the unconscious, to actualize yourself and go through this process that Reich was pointing out and that um, we need the pressures of facing challenge and facing the opposer and the evil ones and the tempters and the devils and, you know, the demons in the dark. We have to grow through that. That's how the universe is through the dualistic nature of all things is experiencing itself and then evolving on its own massive curve of which we're just a little part, but we're a part of it, of the whole picture. And yep. that's why I like films like these science fiction films that bring things to like mega big proportions. It's not just someone with their little life in their little neighborhood. It's you're a part of a bigger thing. Like Jupiter finds out in this film, oh my God, I'm not just cleaning toilets. Like there's a whole other world of shit going on in, on this planet and off this planet. And I'm a part of it. And so on an esoteric level, you're that person, you're Jupiter, you're going through that process of awakening from this mundane life with meaningless things, eat, sleep, shit till you die, right? And realizing, oh, wait, there's grand purpose in the world. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm genetic royalty. She finds out she's not just a cleaner, she's mm-hmm. royalty. And you're royalty, you're genetic royalty. And that makes me think maybe we should call up good old uh, Alex Collier there and ask him some of these questions one day. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. He's just on the street from me in Boulder. He's actually at, there's uh, an ancient civilizations festival going on. Brad Olson's out there. Alex. Really? Coyle's at, yeah. I got I got to out. contact him forever, man. Have you? I was just I on uh, Mel Carmine's show. Okay. Is there, if you and he's, uh, he, him, yeah, man, he's good friends. Will... You're going to be on Mel's show this, this next week, right? Am I? Oh yeah. Mel Carmine. Yeah. That's yeah. the same one. I am. I am going yeah, on. He, he just had Alex on. All right. So amazing how these things happen. I know I was just on a show the other day. So fascinating stuff. eh? Fascinating. Oh yeah. Love this stuff. Love this stuff. Guys, tomorrow night we have a special episode of conversations on the fringe. Max Egan will be joining us on the red pills TV, red pill project. That show will not be on YouTube. FYI, anything with Max Egan on YouTube gets deleted and banned. So that show will not be on YouTube. It'll only be on rumble um, and the other channels. So pay attention to that. That information will be coming out. Uh, many of us are going to be going to Fringe After the Dark uh, about 35 minutes from now. Uh, that You have to be a member of the socialredpill.com to be on to that. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll probably stream on YouTube tonight. That's fine. But there's a Zoom, and then there is a YouTube. And if you want to get into that, just go ahead and join the Social Red Pill. Um, but, David, great conversation. I love the last part of this conversation. When we start talking about oh, enlightenment so and raising of energy, it, it's absolutely perfect. So. Appreciate you joining me tonight. We're going to have to keep on doing these. And I we, potentially, totally. by the way, for everybody out there, Mars Chronicles, we have potentially a guest that's going to be coming on around late October, early November. We'll be doing it on Friday night at this time slot, the Mars Chronicles. 
I'm not going to give away who that guest is, but I tell you, it, it's it's the big one in in this the in right this, one. Yeah, the right one. In that's what we're, we're waiting on, guys. Uh, Mars Chronicles. We kind of had already said all of our piece on it. Um, we're tr- we're waiting for very specific people to cap those episodes off. So right. this will be one of those big pillars, and I can't wait to do it. Absolutely. Much appreciated, David. Many people are asking if you're joining. I'll let you figure that one out. Uh, But much love, respect. God bless everybody. Take care. Have a great night. We'll see you guys later.